Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, ratchetandratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 8. You don't look good, Naya said to David when he opened the door. Are you okay? I'm okay. He smiled weakly. He had made a dinner date with Naya earlier in the week before the surreal incidents had thrown his life into a tailspin. After he discovered the Bible earlier in the afternoon, a sickening dread overcame him, and he spent the rest of the day napping, as if he could escape his fear by burrowing into sleep. But bad dreams followed him. There was no sanctuary, even in slumber. He'd considered canceling his date with Naya, but he hated to be a flake. At the sight of her, he was grateful that she had come. She was a balm for his troubles. Are you running a fever? Let me check. She pressed her palm against his forehead, her brow furrowed with concern. Really, I'm fine, he said. I can prove it. I cooked dinner. I thought I smelled something burning. Ha ha, very funny. He kissed her lightly on the lips. Do you mind if we eat now? I'm starving. He had prepared a simple but tasty meal. Chicken parmesan, pasta, broccoli, and Texas toast. He opened a bottle of Chardonnay and filled glass for both of them. They dug into the food with gusto. I'm so impressed, Naya said, slicing a piece of chicken. I found a man who can cook. I bet you can clean, too. My mama raised me well, he said. He sipped the rest of his wine, then refreshed his glass. Thirsty, she said. I want to sleep like a log tonight. What's bothering you? And don't tell me it's nothing. It was obvious something was wrong the second you opened the door. He pressed his lips together. He decided that he would tell her what was happening. He would share a few things, but maybe not everything. Keeping all of his emotions and thoughts bottled up was threatening to make him implode. Getting drunk would provide only a temporary solace. Let's finish dinner first, he said. I have to eat. And if I start telling you before I finish, I'll lose my appetite. A short while later, they had left the kitchen for the living room sofa. He'd brought the wine with them. Across the room, King settled near the doorway like a sentry. Perhaps the Chardonnay had lubricated David's tongue because he told Naya everything. The theory that his father had faked his own death, leaving out the fact that Reverend Brown had told him so, as he promised the pastor he would keep his identity private. 
The photograph is dad had taken at the Mason house. The visitation from his grandfather's ghost. The illustrated Bible. The disturbing phone call. Naya listened silently throughout his telling. Her hand rested on his thigh. Her touch comforted him. He wished he had confided in her earlier. Sometimes he was tortured by his own self-reliance. You've been dealing with so much, she said, once you finished. I knew something was wrong, but I had no idea that it was anything like that. What do you think? He faced her. Honestly. I believe everything you told me, first of all, she said. We've only known each other for a little while, but I think you're a rational guy. I don't think you've been hallucinating any of this stuff. Thanks, he smiled. I needed to hear that. About your father... I'm not sure how him maybe faking his death is connected to the other things that have happened. I think he could have done it, but I'm not sure what it has to do with everything else. It has to be a connection, though. I think so, too. I get the feeling that my dad is tied into everything, somehow, and I only have to find the link. And the ghost, and the Bible, and the phone call. Well, it sounds like someone has plans for you, David. That's what worries me. I have some kind of responsibility to fulfill, and it's related to my family, but I can't figure out what I'm supposed to do. According to the caller, it's going to be revealed to you, Naya said. I bet you Pearl was the one who called you, too. It sounds like her. I thought it was her. I'm going to see her tomorrow so I could talk to her face to face. Why don't you? Sounds like a great idea. I'll be right back. I want to show you something. He went into the master bedroom, where he left the Bible. He brought it into the living room and placed it on the coffee table. Check it out. He pointed out the simple family tree on the inside cover that began with William Hunter and ended with his own name. He showed her the illustrations, too. Her eyes were thoughtful. This is really something. And you're right, these definitely aren't scenes from Bible stories. But it looks like each scene is part of a story. They seem to be arranged chronologically. I think so too, she said. First, you've got this muscular man. Looks like he was a slave, leaving his shack armed with this knife. Then he's fighting some wild-looking people. After that, he and some other guys are going to an Indian camp, like they want help. She flipped pages. Here, we've got seven dudes. Three blacks, two whites, and two Indians. A rainbow coalition of fighters, really about to make a move on a cave that looks like it's guarded by some vicious dogs. Next, they're actually in the cave, with the main guy holding a torch and leading them. And there are only four men left. Hmm, maybe something happened to the other three guys. Then, the guys are fighting these savages from before, who look like they've been caught sleeping. Now, in this last one, the hero is about to fight this giant, and it looks like they're deep in the cave. There's one more in the back. David said. Naya found it. Okay, they are in the cave. The walls are crumbling down, trapping the giant inside. The hero is running away. Whoever he was, David said. Unfortunately, my great-granddad didn't write name tags on these characters. It's like a fairy tale, she said. She tapped the book. This giant, along with the crazy-looking folks the men were fighting, they look kind of like monsters, don't you think? Yeah, it's the men against the monsters. Right, 
and we both know the monsters aren't real. So maybe it's all fiction. A tall tale, he said. He sighed. Maybe you're right. Make believe, sweetie. She closed the Bible. She smiled. Don't worry about this. Focus on the other things, which I'm going to help you figure out, by the way. Thanks for giving me some perspective, he said. I'll stop worrying about it. Still, why did he have the nagging feeling that he should be worried? As Kyle stared into his father's eyes, he gasped. Diallo had the deepest, blackest irises he had ever seen in a vampire, like bottomless pits. Mamu, too, emitted a sound of surprise. He clutched the bed rail. Diallo slowly blinked. His face crinkled into a grimace of confusion. You are safe, Diallo, Kyle said. He wanted to touch his father, to reassure him, but instinct warned him to keep his distance. Safe, Monsieur, Mamu said. Before Kyle could stop him, Mamu reached forward and rested his hand on Diallo's arm. What happened next was the most incredible act of savagery Kyle had ever witnessed. Moving with startling speed, Diallo sprang upright, simultaneously seizing Mamu's arm. With a wrenching jerk, he ripped Mamu's arm out of his socket as easily as a hungry man tearing a drumstick out of a roasted chicken. Warm blood spattered Kyle's face. He cried out and stumbled backward. Mamu collapsed against the floor. He murmured a silent mantra of agony, blood gushing from the ragged stump on his arm. Diallo tossed away the man's bloody limb. He leapt out the bed, the IV tube attached to his hand tearing out of his flesh. The IV rack clattered to the floor. Without slowing, Diallo pounced on Mamu. He was so fast, faster than Kyle had ever moved. His father's movement was a blur to even Kyle's vampire vision. Kyle retreated to the far wall. Fear tightened like a garrote around his throat. He had never foreseen that his father's awakening would happen like this. No Toromamu, Diallo had fastened his mouth against the man's neck. He sucked the blood greedily, moaning in animalistic pleasure. Revulsion roiled through Kyle, quickly replaced by sorrow. Mamu was lost to him. He had been an honorable man, an excellent agent, a true friend. Kyle regretted that Mamu had been the unfortunate victim of his father's raging hunger. I mean, Mamu was an idiot. I just want to say that real quick. If I don't know what vampire we looking for, I just know that my, my dude told me, you know, we're going to find my daddy and he's a vampire. Until I know that the vampire is like my guy who drinks um, blood out of a Capri Sun packet, I'm not going near him and I'm definitely not touching him. Like, what? No. Vampire? I'll be over here. Hey, um, so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get you all set up. And then I'm going to go back to Paris. And then, uh, when it's cool, and you know he ain't going to try and kill no humans, call me up, and I'm going to say hi. But I'm not coming back to where he is. Y'all can come to where I am. But even then... I ain't coming to where he is because I don't know him like that. But instead, he didn't. He put his hand on his arm like he was a friend or a pal or something and got murked immediately. That's what he gets.
But death was eventually inevitable for a man. His father was greater than a man. His life worth far more to Kyle than a dozen Mamus. See? What about your friends? Will they stand their ground? Will they let you down? Hey, hey. You've been dead for like three minutes and he's like, oh, my dad got to eat. Satiate on the human's blood. Diallo whirled around. He immediately spotted Kyle. You do not wish to attack me, Kyle said shakily. These are not the droids you are looking for. Blood dripped down Diallo's chin, covered the front of his silken bedclothes. His onyx black eyes blazed. He appeared to be every bit of the murderous monster that Mother said he was. But he is not a monster, Kyle thought. I will not believe it. Diallo roared. He charged across the room. Kyle moved, narrowly avoiding getting crushed in Diallo's arms. He darted to the other side of the basin with all the speed he could manage. You do not move like a man, Diallo said. His voice was deep, yet ragged from disuse. He drew up to his full height, his head only inches beneath the ceiling. He coughed. The spasm rocked his body. Kyle had to get his father in the bed again. In spite of Diallo's explosive bursts of violence, he was weak and vulnerable. He had not fully recovered from his hibernation. But he didn't dare to approach Diallo yet. You did not move like a man, Diallo said again, as if considering the thought. Are you a vampire? I am your son, Kyle cried. Diallo blinked. He appeared to be confused. I do not have a son. Leisha is my mother, Kyle said. You must remember her. Leisha. Emotion contorted Diallo's face. Closing his eyes and shaking his head, he dropped to his knees. Slowly, Kyle walked closer to him. She was pregnant with me when you last saw her, he said. You never knew. She didn't tell you. Diallo raised his face. Tears streamed down his cheeks. Leisha. You, Diallo said weakly. I feel Leisha in you. Kyle cannot hold back his emotion any longer. He embraced his father and wept. Diallo held him close for a long time. Kyle wanted his father to return to bed, but Diallo refused. I must walk and use my legs again, Diallo said. He draped his arm across Kyle's shoulders. They shuffled in a circle around the candlelit basement. Kyle held his father around the waist to keep him balanced. Speak to me, my son. We're in a strange place. How long have I been asleep? Kyle hesitated. Then he answered, 168 years. No, Diallo said. So long. But I have feared that I will sleep for an eternity. What do you remember of your life? Diallo sighed heavily. I remember it all. As I slept, I relived my life in dreams. Are we in Mississippi? Yes. We were close to the cave in which you were sleeping. I've lost so many years. So much living. Diallo stifled a sob. Sorrow clutched Kyle's heart. He could not fathom the disorientation that his father experienced. It had been said that for a vampire to recover emotionally and mentally from a prolonged sleep was more difficult than a physical rehabilitation process. Tell me everything that has happened, Diallo said. Spare nothing. 
To explain everything that has occurred in the world will require weeks, Father. I will give you the highlights. Kyle described how he and his mother, Leisha, left America when civil war broke out to seek refuge in the African country of Liberia, a haven for many blacks who fled America. They spent decades in Liberia and other African nations and eventually immigrated to Paris, where Leisha lived to this day. Diallo began to weep again. Leisha must despise me for what I have done, he said. She did not come with you. Kyle did not know what to say. He could not repeat his mother's cautions about awakening his father. I owe Leisha my life, Diallo said. She saved me from a life of slavery. She taught me so much. She made me a vampire. Mother loved you, Kyle said. Diallo's body trembled. Gently pushing Kyle away, Diallo stood on his own. His liquid black eyes captured Kyle's gaze. But Leisha never understood, Diallo said. I'm a warrior. Father, the slave trade ended over a century ago. You cannot imagine the weapons that humans possess in this age. The power that they wield. Diallo laughed. <laughs> power? When I'm well, I will teach you power. Father. Kyle was again unable to speak. How could he explain that there was nothing to fight for? That the injustices for which his father believed he was fighting had been remedied? And that, most of all, as vampires, the business of humans was none of their concern. Diallo was trapped in his mortal memories. Persuading him to relinquish his old passions would be perhaps Kyle's most daunting challenge. Diallo wobbled and slumped against Kyle. He breathed heavily. Help me lie down, Diallo said. I must rest, then feed again. Kyle helped Diallo onto the bed. His father reclined against the pillows. A small cooler sitting nearby held several packets of blood. Kyle retrieved one and pierced the top. He handed it to his father. Drink this, father. It will nourish you. What is it? Diallo frowned. Blood, Kyle said. Human blood. In this age, we live on blood that has been packaged like this. Diallo looked doubtful. Kyle demonstrated how to squeeze the packet and draw the fluid between the lips. Diallo frowned, tried to mimic him. He vomited explosively. I cannot feed on this. Diallo flung the packet across the room. The blood tastes foul. But you must adapt to it, Kyle said. It is a safe way for us to nourish ourselves. We cannot hunt and kill prey, father. Diallo dropped against the pillows. Sweat had broken out on his face. Kyle again attempted to feed him the packaged blood. Diallo gagged. I need live prey, Diallo said. Bring me a human. You don't understand what you're asking me. I need a live human, Diallo coughed. <coughs> or I fear I will die. Kyle paced. His father demanded the impossible. He had not hunted a human in decades and found the idea inimical, offensive even, to his nature. He was not a predator. He counted humans as his friends and confidants. How could he prey on them? Mamu had been like a brother to him. Okay, Google. What's the definition of inimical? Here's the definition of inimical, tending to obstruct or harm. His gaze flicked over Mamu's corpse. Father needed to feed on him. Now, he needs another.
Mamu's death caused me sorrow, but I shall go on, for it was for a great purpose, my father's survival. What would it hurt me to kill a stranger to keep him alive? The coldness of Kyle's thoughts frightened him. He considered himself a civilized vampire, a lover of culture and art, with refined tastes and habits. Yet, he was thinking of regressing into the kind of vampire that he despised, the ruthless predator. He went to Diallo. Hunger twisted his father's face, a face so much like his own. Diallo's hand found his, squeezed tightly. Hunt for me, my son, Diallo whispered. Save me. He had waited almost 170 years to find his father. Was a human's life worth that much? A human would never live to such an advanced age. He could not deny his father. He would not. He would do anything to keep Diallo alive. Kyle covered his father's hand with his own. I'll return soon, he said. Kyle drove the Lexus Sport Utility into town. Briefly, when he had climbed in the vehicle, he had thought about Mamu and how he typically drove Kyle everywhere that he needed to travel. Then he cleared memories of his friend out of his thoughts. He could not afford to think of any humans in kind, familiar terms, not while he was engaged on this mission. Nothing could distract him from his purpose. He was a good but cautious driver. Mother had warned him about the pitfalls of automobiles. Humans are reckless, she had taught. It is far too easy for you to be ensnared in a collision. Think of the fear you would cause if the humans witnessed you walking away from a head-on wreck, unscathed. Or what if you were to lose consciousness and they took you to one of their hospitals and discovered your unusual blood? Kyle could not quiet her somber voice of wise advice. As he motored down the steep road, the town unfolded before him, lights twinkling. It was 15 minutes past 11. He hoped that most of the residents had taken the bed. He could not risk being seen. He turned onto a residential street. Porch lights glimmered on many of the ranch-style homes. He remembered the last time he had hunted. He had been 127 years old, living in Paris. He and his mother had gone to the theater one evening, and after the performance, they followed a young couple along the city streets. Mother led the hunt. She swept towards the couple and forced him into a dark alley with the power of an unstoppable gale. She fell upon the man. Kyle took the woman. He would always remember the terror that had shunned in the woman's eyes as his hand grasped her shoulders in an iron grip. The sigh of pleasure that escaped her when he sank his fangs into her warm, tender neck and the cloying scent of her perfume mingled with the coppery odor of fresh blood. A delicious shiver coursed along his spine and rattled through his arms, making his hands tremble on the steering wheel. But nausea followed soon after. The thought of touching his lips to germ-ridden human flesh seemed so repulsive, so primitive. But he could not ever forget the rapture of sucking blood directly from an artery and into his mouth. He reached an intersection. He turned onto a road that appeared to be darker, with fewer homes. He parked in front of an unlit house. A nearby elm tree concealed the Lexus in additional covers of darkness. Still, the luxury sports utility was glaringly conspicuous in the humble town. He regretted that he had allowed Mahmoud to acquire the vehicle. However, he reminded himself that hunting amongst the town people had never been part of his original intent. He climbed out of the truck. 
The thump of the closing door echoed down the desolate street. He drew his leather gloves more tightly across his hands. Perspiration coated his palms. He had never hunted alone. Mother had always accompanied him. But her teachings returned to him. You are a prince of the night. Use darkness to your advantage. Revel and cloak yourself in it. At night, the world belongs to us. A breeze swirled around him, carrying the scent of flowers and the singing of crickets and other creatures. The world belongs to us. His eyes slid shut. Like a man submerging a net in a river in search of a fish, Cal cast his mind into the atmosphere. He sought the warm pulse of a human life. Someone young, but not a child. An adolescent, yes, with ripe blood that will nourish his father. Within seconds, he had found one. His prey was a few blocks away, not too far to travel by foot, a distance he would cover rapidly. He stretched forward. Into a human eye, he would have appeared to vanish, like a flickering shadow. But he was moving, not relying on sight for direction, but trusting solely in the psychic signal that throbbed in his mind. He arrived in the backyard of a small house. A wooden fence encircled the yard. Crumbling concrete steps led to a white door. He tried to open the door. Locked. He waved his hand across the lock, and it disengaged with a soft click. In addition to tremendous strength and speed, each vampire possessed special gifts. He had the power of telekinesis, the talent to move physical objects by employing psychic force. He could lift an object that weighed several hundred pounds without exerting any physical effort. The ability came in handy. No door was ever closed to him. He waited outside the doorway. Silence. No one shouted an alarm or came running. But he sensed a human in the room beyond the door. The individual he desired. He paused. Once he went inside the house, he could not turn back. His carefully cultivated image of himself as a sensitive, sophisticated creature would be ruined. He would become a predator. Hunt for me, my son. Save me. He awaited a lifetime for an opportunity to see his father. How could he turn away from doing what was needed to ensure his father's survival? If he had to become a predator, so be it. Quietly, he pushed through the door. He was in a cramped, brightly lit kitchen. Chipped paint on the walls. Pieces of tile missing from the floor. A wobbly set of chairs surrounded a wooden table, heaped with papers and cups. A young black woman was at the counter. Her back turned to him. She poured a bright red fluid from a pitcher into a glass. For an absurd moment, Kyle thought he had wandered into the house of a vampire who was about to feed. But it wasn't blood, of course. It was some sort of punch drink. Beyond the doorway, Kyle heard children chattering excitedly. He only wanted the girl. She turned with the container in her hand to return it to the refrigerator. And that was when she saw him. Her mouth spread into a startled, oh. The pitcher fell out of her fingers and crashed against the floor, punch spreading like a blood stain across the tiles. He struck her temple with the edge of his hand, knocking her unconscious. He caught her in his arms. She was so vibrantly alive. Her head lolled to the side, exposing her smooth neck. Without touching her flesh, he felt her pulse throbbing. It was like a drumbeat echoing in his mind. 
He covered her with his jacket. She was not for him. She was for his father. He carried her out of the house and into the night. Jalil and the fellas cruised through town. T-Bone drove, Polk rode shotgun, and Jalil was sprawled in the back seat. Hip-hop banged from the speakers, loud enough to give an old man a heart attack. The past week, no longer burdened by a stupid job, Jalil spent his days and nights hanging with the crew. He usually rolled out of bed at noon, played video games for a few hours, and then T-Bone would pick him up and they hit the basketball courts. Or even better, the car wash, where they talked to all the females who came through. Okay, that's the one thing I'm going to change out in this book. If it's not describing something... <sighs> and talk to all the ladies who came through. Come nightfall, they began cruising the streets, stopping whenever they saw people they knew, or just driving and bumping music. Dad hadn't said anything to him about getting a job, yet. Khalil could tell his old man had another plan brewing. School, another pain in the ass, started next week as well. He was going to enjoy his freedom while it lasted. They were driving aimlessly down a dark street, nodding to the slamming beat, when Jalil caught a swift movement on the periphery of his vision, like a large passing shadow. He looked through the rear windshield. A tall man dressed in black was putting a large covered package in the rear cargo area of a sports utility vehicle. Except the package had a pair of dangling legs. Stop the car, Jalil said. He lunged forward and grabbed a fistful of T-Bone's jersey. Man, someone's putting a dead body in that truck. What? T-Bone lowered the volume of the music. What the hell are you talking about? The Lexus we just passed, man. Jalil had both knees on the seat cushion and stared out the window. The man had put the body, Jalil was sure it was a body, inside the trunk and moved to the driver's side door. A dude was putting a body in the trunk. You high as hell and hallucinating shit, Polk said. You ain't seen nothing. The taillights of the Lexus flared. The vehicle moved forward, away from them. He's getting away, Jalil said. I'm not lying and I'm not seeing things. I saw him put something in the trunk that had legs like a person. Like a woman's legs, T-Bone said. All nice and smooth? Yeah, I think so, Jalil said. Amazed that T-Bone had seen it too. Did she have long, silky hair, T-Bone said. Make you want to run your fingers through it? I I don't know. I didn't see her hair. Did she have a face like Halle Berry? T-Bone said. Jalil frowned. Fellas, I'm serious. T-Bone and Poke broke into wild laughter. That's the weed working on you, Jay, Poke said. Chill out and enjoy the ride, man. Whatever, Jalil said. The Lexus had rolled out of sight. He began to wonder if his boys were right. Maybe he hadn't seen a man putting a body in the trunk. Maybe he had been hallucinating. He was, after all, as high as a space satellite. But if it were only an illusion, why was he so afraid? Kyle presented the unconscious young woman to his father, like a gift. Diallo sat up in the bed. He smiled. Ah, my son, I'm proud of you. You saved me. As I lay here, I have felt my life slipping away. I will never let you go hungry. Kyle placed the woman on his father's lap. Hurry, before she wakes. Diallo savagely twisted the woman's head, lifted her neck to his mouth, and plunged his fangs into her jugular vein. 
Blood spurted. The woman sighed, a sensual sound. The coppery odor of fresh blood permeated the air. A pleasant chill passed through Kyle as he watched his father feed. He marveled that he could enjoy watching a vampire feast on a human. The mere thought used to revolt him. Something was happening to him, he realized. A profound change was occurring deep in his psyche, like tectonic plates shifting under the earth's surface. He was certain that finding his father, finally, had triggered the transformation. He was metamorphosing into a mature vampire, more daring, more confident, more in touch with his natural desires. As he watched his father suck the human's blood, he licked his lips. Suddenly, he was hungry, famished, although he had fed only a couple hours ago on a packet of blood. Perhaps his father would share the woman with him. But Diallo did not offer. He drained the human's blood, then carelessly flung the corpse off the bed. Kyle's hunger vanished. He wasn't genuinely hungry. What was wrong with him? He had to maintain control of himself. Hunting prey for his father was essential, but only until his father had adapted to packaged blood. He could not join his father in feeding on live prey. If he did, they would regress into predatory savages. The idea was madness. But only yesterday, I had thought that murdering a human was madness too, hadn't I? You're in turmoil, my son, Diallo said. He rested his hand on Kyle's shoulder. Sit with me. Kyle sat on the edge of the bed. What troubles you, Diallo said. Mother has taught me a different way of life for a vampire, Kyle said. A way that she feels is more civilized. Diallo smiled. Leisha is wise, but she is a woman. You are a male, and I'm your father. Only I can show you how a powerful male vampire ought to conduct himself. His father's eyes were dark, absorbing. I needed you to save me, Diallo said. You need me to guide you. We need each other, my son. Yes, father, Kyle said. Intense emotion swelled his lungs, making it hard to breathe. He had never experienced such heartfelt connection with anyone, vampire or human. We need a daylight watcher, Diallo said. I understand that the man you have befriended served in such a capacity, but he is no more. I will show you a watcher that is better than a man. What do you mean? Help me walk. Let's go outdoors. Kyle assisted his father in getting off the bed. Across the basement, a short flight of steps ended at a solid set of storm doors. The doors were unlocked. Kyle had brought the woman into the cellar through this doorway. They ascended the stairs and walked into the night. It was cool and quiet. The sky was clear, sprinkled with stars and a pale half moon. Diallo drew in a deep, deep breath. He laughed like a giddy child. <laughs> uh, the night, Diallo said. I have missed the freedom of darkness. At night, all things are possible for us. Always remember that truth. All things, Kyle said. Instead of answering, Diallo dropped to his knees in the grass. Alarmed, Kyle went to him, but Diallo waved him away. His father ripped away the sleeves of his silk shirt, exposing his muscular arms. 
He spread his arms to their full length. He closed his eyes and raised his face heavenward. Moonlight seemed to shimmer around his head like a halo. What is he doing? Kyle wondered. His father's behavior did not follow anything mother had taught him. What was this talk of finding a watcher who was better than a man? Tension thick in the air as his father meditated, his body like an onyx statue. The silence endured for several minutes, and then Kyle heard, faintly, the gallop of approaching animals. It sounded like dogs. David and Nia were in the living room when the dog went berserk. They had temporarily given up discussing the Bible, the ghost, and the other strange things that David had experienced lately. They just didn't have any solutions. Tomorrow, David will visit the psychic woman, Pearl, to get some answers. They are watching a sappy romantic comedy movie that Nia had insisted he would like, when King went nuts. The dog had been lying on the floor, viewing the television as if engaged in the story. Abruptly, King jumped up and began to bark. What's wrong, boy? David said. What are you barking at? King ran out of the living room. He continued to bark. Confused, David looked at Naya. He could be hungry, she said, or want to go outside. He doesn't normally act like that. He found the dog in the hallway. King stood on his hind legs, scratching at the front door, barking. David looked outside the window. There was no one in sight. King quit barking and whined. What is it, boy? David said. The dog looked at him with such yearning, as though frustrated by their inability to communicate directly. What's wrong? David said. King ran to a window. He scratched the glass. He whined. Do you want to go outside? David said. Want to go outside? Whenever David made the suggestion in the past, if King wanted to take him up on it, he wagged his tail. King's tail did not wag this time. David grasped at the doorknob. King growled. The dog only growled at him when they were play fighting, and there was nothing playful about what was happening now. Cold anxiety touched David's spine. He was not afraid of his dog. He was afraid of what his dog evidently sensed, a threat that he could not see on his own. He went to a window and looked outdoors once more. He saw only the night, silent, deep. Stories that his father had faked his death, ghostly visitations, anonymous phone calls, mysterious family Bibles, so much bizarre stuff. Add a freaked out German shepherd to the list. Is everything okay in there? Naya said. Why don't you answer her? David said to King. You seem to be the one with the sixth sense. King tried to pass David and into the living room. The dog settled on the carpet beside the coffee table. He was his ordinary, lazy self again. One of these days, David said, you're going to have to learn how to talk or write or something. And you're going to tell me what that show was all about, Mr. King. King yawned. Puzzled, but deciding to leave it alone, David returned to the living room. Kyle watched his father as the approach of the dogs grew louder. Diallo remained kneeling, arms spread, eyes closed, face tilted skyward, like a worshiper of the moon. A pack of a half dozen dogs swept around the corner of the mansion. 
They look like mutts who have been left to fend on their own and find their meals in garbage cans and handouts. None of the animals wore a collar. All of them were full grown, and none of them weighed less than 30 pounds. The hounds passed Kyle as though he did not exist. They gathered around Diallo. Oddly, though the dogs were excited and panting, they did not bark. They were quiet, expectant. Kyle had never witnessed a vampire using a canine for any purposes whatsoever, other than ordinary security. His father, he believed, was going to do something with these beasts that Kyle had never seen before. Diallo uttered a soft cry. With his nails, which had grown the sharp claws, he slid a gash in each of his wrists. Ugh! Thick blood streamed across his skin. Kyle winced. Diallo offered his bleeding wrist to the dogs. The dogs padded closer to him. They lapped the blood, threw the hounds on each of his arms. Comprehension came to Kyle. Diallo was going to make these hounds his servants. He viewed the rest of the spectacle with amazement. Almost as one, after the canines fed on Diallo's blood, they dropped to the grass. They squirmed and squealed. Saliva bubbled from their lips. Diallo motioned for Kyle to come forward. He grabbed Kyle's hand and got to his feet. Diallo's self-inflicted wounds had closed. I've always used dogs as watchers, Diallo said. They're a man's best friend. Why not a vampire's? He laughed. The dogs welled in pain. Their pain will pass soon, Diallo said. They're experiencing the death of their mortal bodies. As Kyle watched, the hounds ceased their cries and seizures. They began to recover. These hounds will remain active both day and night, Diallo said. They will possess extraordinary intelligence. They are obedient to my will. They are peerless guardians and hunters. I never knew dogs could be used like this, Kyle said. Leisha knows, Diallo said. She taught me. Kyle felt betrayed by his mother. She claimed to have taught him all of a vampire's abilities. What else has she kept secret from him? When the dogs bite another canine or a human, Diallo continued, the bitten one will fall under my influence and will serve either as a servant hound if a canine or a Valdue if he's a human. A Valdue, Kyle said. He had not heard the word in many years. Valdue have the hunger for blood, but do not possess all of our talents. They are excellent warriors. Diallo's lips twisted into an enigmatic smile. Mother teaches that the Valdue are an abomination, Kyle said. She forbid their creation. When will you put away childish things, Diallo said, and claim your birthright as a vampire? Kyle did not know how to respond. Diallo smiled. He snapped his fingers. The dogs arranged themselves in a tight line, like trained soldiers. Diallo placed his hand on Kyle's shoulder. This is my son, Kyle, he said. Look upon him. The canine's attention shifted to Kyle. Unlike normal dogs, they did not turn away when he met their gaze. They stared at him without fear. Unnatural awareness gleamed in their eyes. You will obey Kyle as you obey me, Diallo said. He sits on my right hand. You are my warriors.
Father speaks as though he is preparing for battle, Kyle thought. In unison, the dogs howled. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Podchaser. And then you can copy that and put it on Apple Podcasts. And then copy that and then put it on Good Pods app. Leave five stars for each one. Uh, you can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. Also at um, buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. And at the Good Pods app. Uh, you can donate at our tip jar. All money goes towards buying books uh, for Ratchet Book Club and for buying movies uh, for hindsight. Um, also, if you'd be so kind, um, buy the book. Like, this book is really dope, and I really want y'all to support um, these authors. Um, so you can buy the book on Amazon by using the link that I have in the show notes or by going to the link tree, uh, which is link tree slash uh, ratchet books. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. <laughs>